Good evening and welcome to the Forum Members Surgery Live, the stream that connects the membership to the rest of the union on behalf of the North East region. My name is Scott Hasman, President of the Leeds Number no. 1 Amalgamate Branch. And in tonight's session, I'm joined by Tony Booch, CW National and Postal Executive Member, Dave Wiltshire, currently a National Executive and Postal Executive Member. And we uh, want to talk about the parcel delivery routes, Sunday deliveries, culture, collections, and also give a bit of an update on where we are with the average holiday pay claim this evening. Hi, guys. Now, uh, Tony, would you like to introduce yourself for those people that may not know you? Yeah, with you, Scott. Evening, uh, in evening to everyone. Uh, obviously, Tony Boots, uh, NEC and Postal Executive Member. Um, been on the NEC since 2011 uh, from the Plymouth East Cornwall branch. Held a number of roles in the union, so local rep in delivery offices, local rep in distribution, area rep and obviously then branch secretary before I got onto the executive. So, yeah, I'd like to think I'll confirm my answer when Scott. Excellent. And uh, Dave, we're going to give a, a brief outline of your background. Yeah, of course. Um, it's my second time on the national executive and postal executive. Um, I've done two spells totaling just over 10 years. I've been, um, I was branch secretary of the Bristol and District Amalgamated Branch for 10 years in between. Um, and worked for every department over my time um, at CW headquarters and represented most groups of members in, in the branch at one time or another. Excellent. Thank you for guys. So um, if you are watching and have a question in relation to any of those topics for tonight, pop them in the comments. They should pop up in our stream and then we can try and address them throughout the night. Um, I'd be also most grateful if you could help us share and reach to as many members as possible by sharing the streams and tagging your colleagues in the uh, streams you're watching. And equally, if you can like our CW Leeds page, Northeast Regional page, I'm sure Ports, uh, Plymouth would also like you to like their page and the uh, Leeds YouTube channel. So let's get this session into full flow and stop wasting time. Right, to th start off then, Tony, shall we uh, kick off with parcel delivery routes? And uh, what is a parcel delivery route? Why are they coming in? And uh, just sort of give us a bit of a background story and, and where we are with it, really. Yeah, we'll do it. No problem, Scott. So, so I think it's been well versed in sort of the last few years in terms of the direction of travel. So we did the four pillars agreement. The four pillars agreement said we would do we would look at the direction of travel for the postal industry over the next three, five, seven years. But that's probably been expedited because of the pandemic. So where we've had, particularly over the last sort of twelve months, without a shadow of doubt, and the business were probably in a view where. We weren't probably in the best of relationships before the pathway to change agreement. There was a number of trials that were being progressed uh, without sort of CW involvement. The business's view was at that time looking to take the large parcels off the delivery routes. And it was all about sort of what the, what got left on the delivery routes, how many offices would do the large parcels, um, and what did a delivery job look like in the future. So, so that was where we came from. Obviously, fast track to where we are now. We've got the agreement that says uh, in the pathway to change agreement that dedicated parcel routes can be introduced across all units. Uh, so that's the positive. So that's changed the raw mail mantra for they would they would be concentrated into sort of 350 offices. 
we've got that uh, agreement that they can all do that now. We've got the raw mail joint pipeline talks that I sit on on behalf of the union, along with Mike Bolch and a few other PC members. Um, and again, that is looking at, again, the direction of travel consultants that raw mail are using, because, you know, clearly, um, and, and not everyone would have seen this yet. And again, I've only had the chance to probably skim read this today. But even when you look at the raw mail financial results today that they've declared, you can see the, the narrative and the change and the challenge we have. So for argument's sake, um, parcel growth is up for the last financial year by 32%. That obviously means the revenue's gone up for parcels by sort of 38%. Track volumes are the highest they've ever been in terms of an increase, but they're up by like 80-ish percent. And I think for Raw Mail Group now, um, 70%, 72% of the revenue is attributable to parcels. And that clearly changes the demographics of what we've ever what we do as a union and how we do the jobs. And particularly when we go forwards, you know, what does that look like for our members? Is you know the business is now looking to automate more, more of that. So I think you know there's there's talks around the Northwest Hub in Warrington and there's a hub in Midlands. But then there's discussions in the pipeline talks around you know is there going to be a third hub? Is there going to be a fourth hub? You know, what does that look like in terms of the direction of travel over the next 10 years? So all of those high-level stuff are taking place. But in reality, I mean, the challenge we face is we've got, you know, 60,000 delivery routes up and down the country where, you know, at least probably 40,000 of them before the pandemic were planned on share vans. And yet we've got, the as that growth is, you know, continuing alongside that direction of travel is... Can the format three and four, so parcels that are bigger than a shoebox, are they going to be able to be continued to be delivered through shared vans? And, and again, so you know, I don't think, you know, when I was on delivery, um, you know, I used to do parcel routes you know, as part of my duty at the time. So I don't think it's anything different. But again, I think it's the, the change in the narrative from when we've gone to shared vans. It's about what does that look like? And again, what does that look like in the delivery offices? So there's a huge amount around it. Um, which we'll touch on in a minute, but that's the, that I would say that's the why in the the, the the what's got for this minute. Excellent. I mean, uh, certainly it's probably before my time, and I've been in the business since uh, late nineties, so sort of early noughties. And um, I think uh, I was speaking to our brand secretary, and he said, sort of 25, 30 years, they actually were dedicated parcel routes back then, and they've kind of gone full circle as what seems to be the case in raw mail as a, as a whole. Um, they sort of reinvent the wheel and somehow manage to palm it off or something new. But uh, that, that's where we are. Um, so in terms of um, the, the parcels coming out and the reason why they'll be coming out, I mean, there's been some cases that we've been dealing with around conduct and some of it about security of the mail. So clearly you've got these smaller vehicles working two out of a van, you've got all the mail and everything else, and then you've got the increase in, in parcels. And then the, the you know, member, some of the uh, management team have, have been challenging some of our members as relation to the security where parcels have been falling out. So, you know, by pulling the parcels out and going onto a dedicated parcel route, that, that may help um, and increase the security of, of the parcels. Um, so how, how exactly would would we look at deploying the parcel routes, Tony? So, you know, is, is it just a case we're going to swarm the 
uh, network with extra people or is it going to be robbing Peter to pay Paul or a bit of both? Um, I think this is where, not necessarily difficulty, but we're probably because of the, the, the way in which we're trying to integrate it with the delivery revisions. So again, obviously the dedicated parcel routes have been introduced alongside structural revisions and delivery. Um, and in the structural revisions and delivery, we land on model week 14 for the traffic, but that doesn't necessarily mean model week 14 is the right week to base your dedicated parcel routes on. Um, so, so we're having some conversations around that. That's where we are now. We're going to have to review that going forwards. The second part is around, again, the whole premise of the dedicated parcel routes is, is units have got the ability themselves on what suits those offices. So in terms of the tools we use, in terms of the planning we would do at that stage of the delivery vision, you know, offices might may select, you know, there's certain walks that are out of scope. So whether it's a rural delivery, whether it's a, a delivery that's in an urban area that's just Fryman's sake, tower block, tower blocks, it doesn't make sense to do that. Whether it's like Fryman's sake in near train stations or the city area where actually putting it onto vans, it just doesn't make sense. You can have the ability to turn all of that off in the process. Likewise, if a unit says, well, we haven't got the appetite for people wanting to do, whether it's a day shift, whether it's a, a PM shift, you know, whatever that looks like, again, you've got the ability to configure that yourself. So the system will say, based on the traffic for your office, you're due to have four or five dedicated parcel routes. The office might go, well, we only want to. And all you would do then is switch off the, the walks that doesn't make sense, keep it on the two, it will plan in the walks that you would do, parcels would come off it, wait, make the walks out. Where we're trying to balance that off though, is, and this is where it's difficult to a degree, is every office is starting from a different place because we've got some offices that the delivery revisions are correcting a previous revision because they've seen an increase in delivery points, they've seen an increase in volumes, both letters and parcels. Likewise, because of the change I touched on earlier on around the parcel uh, traffic, we've got a substantial increase in track. So in some instances, previous revisions have said our office has got 20, 25, 30 attendance calls. We're now seeing 100 attendance calls, which means there's greater time. So actually taking the large parcels off just means those delivery routes are able to actually complete what they're due to do now. So actually, it's, it is solving a problem in some instances. I think the bigger thing, will, and this will be the test when we go forwards, is you know I think the, the plan at this moment in time, depending on what happens with the pandemic, is you know 21st of June, all being well, all of the restrictions are moved. That's potentially where the business look to reintroduce shared vans. However, as I say, there will be a situation where some of those shared van pairings can't go back together because of the increase in parcels traffic because you won't be able to get everything in the van. And I think what will happen in that scenario is that's where people will start to think, actually, we do need to look at some dedicated pass routes or we do need to do something differently because at this moment in time, you know, I think I was in Swindon uh, yesterday morning, uh, the number of vehicles they've got is sort of in some instances doubled and trebled because of the higher vehicles. So it's helping the problem. So I think all of it will sort of come to fruition over the next couple of weeks and months. But the key thing for us is we're on a journey. You know, we want this workload because it's growth, it's new products and services. You know, the fact that Raw Mail have opened up to Sundays now is whilst we're winning contracts on Sundays, we're now in a situation where that, that is driving contracts being coming back in on Monday to Saturday, which again is new workload for us. So uh, particularly where we're, you know, where there are, has been letter decline, 
you know, the growth in parcels will help the union. Well, two things. One, it will sustain some of the jobs that we want in terms of workload. But actually, if it continues to get raw mills revenue up, that will enable the union when we go into negotiations on things like the short work and week on pay deals, that we'll be able to say that the business is being successful because of the things we've done in those negotiations. Yes. I, I picked up on uh, a particular phrase that you use. Uh, and coming from a, a diesel background, so an heavy goods, you said out of scope. Now, out of scope to me means a taco or a non-taco vehicle. Now, I do have a, a vague understanding of what the out of scope is, but just in case anyone's uh, tuning in, wondering what on earth an out of scope is in terms of deliveries, uh, would you be able to just expand on what that means, Tony, please? Yeah. So in simplistic terms, Scott, is you've got 50 delivery routes in an office. You review the, the system would say based on the delivery point density for that geographical area for the 50 walks, 40 walks are, are due to be in scope for dedicate to, to, to have their parcels delivered for dedicated parcel routes. 10 are out of scope because they're rural duties and it doesn't make sense that delivery density is down. But the offices review that. So that we, we might be having a conversation amongst ourselves and say, there's one there, there's one on the border, but it makes sense for it to be in scope. But likewise, you might say there's one that's in scope, makes sense to go out of scope because, it, you know, the nature of that job. So that's what it means, out of scope, in scope. is purely the offices review the data and they can they can agree that themselves. Yeah, so effectively, in, some, in, in uh, I suppose, Scott language, is uh, the more dense, the, the, more, the more number of, houses the more likely it's going to be in or out of scope absolutely yeah yeah sound so um the couple of comments in the uh stream it's about van sharing and in particular one from pete about the 21st which you did reference now that might change to be fair uh, and what he's saying is they'll go back to if if we go back to van sharing uh, another comment is asking why aren't we going back to van sharing but if we do go back to van sharing um you know the fleet needs a major overall so you know in, in terms of parcel delivery routes uh, specifically will there be sort of an overview and a review of of the i suppose the vehicles in offices uh, and uh, i don't know purchasing the appropriate size uh vehicles tony yeah, so, I mean, as I said, I think, that, I think the 21st of June is all predicated on what happens with the government's restrictions, first and foremost. And I know Absolutely. the officers, Mark Davy, Dave Joyce, are looking to issue a joint statement that picks up the health and safety part, but also the wider operational impact. Because, like I said, there will be parts where two walks just can't go back into a van because of the growth. So there's that to pick up. Um, in terms of the vehicles, though, the business are looking, and they've already ordered some, of the Peugeot experts that on the L3 model, which are the bigger bigger and longer wheelbase vehicles. But again, and they're also looking at obviously the electric fleet. But likewise, there is only so many vehicles I think that can procure at any given time. So there is, we have agreed that for argument's sake, some units that have decided to do dedicated parcel routes would you know, review the neighboring offices because it could be an office five miles down the road doesn't want to introduce dedicated parcel vans. And some vehicles could be swapped between the two sites to make that more beneficial but the whole premise of what a van looks like is being picked up and and likewise look, i think the future model of what vehicles look like is part of the, the, the discussions we're having as well because you know again we were in swindon yesterday looking at the dedicated parcel routes that they've done in swindon and, and there is a view you know 
you know, I know, and I know you know this because we've had a chat, but, you know, if you look at some of the duty patterns that you would have negotiated over the year in network, you know, you have in it of duty patterns, so whether that's a three-day week, four-day week, you know, a, a nine-day fortnight, all of that brings opportunities and the work building dedicated parcels will bring those opportunities. But if, if the vehicle then is the barrier to me saying, well, we could actually introduce a three-day week on a dedicated parcel in an office, um, actually, though, the only barrier to it, we've got the work code, we've got individuals that want to do that. The barrier is we haven't got the vehicles that can fit the parcels in because of the size and scale of it. That that then becomes a barrier to us introducing those into duty patterns. And the whole issue of vehicles is looking at the what the, the layout in the back. You know, they're, they're, they've trialed, they looked at a uh, Mercedes Sprinter, which has shelving in the back, which our members think is great. Uh, they've looked at some different concepts similar to like the UPS one, where the passenger seat isn't there. And, and obviously you can en enter and exit enter the or sorry exit the vehicle from the passenger side and likewise you can go into the bulkhead from that bit but again the challenges that brings is i might be doing a parcel route but you know there's certain parts of a geographic area where it doesn't go down that street and and there is no turning circle to turn it around so there's pros and there's cons and, and obviously the whole issue of looking at the vehicles is something we're picking up mate excellent thank you for for that so um Dedicated parcel routes is something that is certainly. Hang on, we've, we've got a, a Dave Thomas here. Uh, Dave, any chance that Dave Walsh can smile? <laughs> <laughs> that all right? Um, yeah, it just tickled me. Did that? Um, yeah. So delivery routes. Uh, we're talking sort of generically about a Monday to sort of Friday or Monday to Saturday actually but uh, the other area we, we want to sort of sort of cover is the Sunday deliveries and actually the Sunday delivery is very much the same as, as the Monday to Saturday um, aspect. So is there actually any difference other than maybe just the actual amount of work um, or you know is there going to be any difference in how they uh, structure the routes on a Sunday compared to the rest of the week and in terms of the in scope and outer scope I'd imagine because there's no uh, car deliveries on a Sunday they'll all be um, in one category yeah so the Sunday pretty much mirrors mirrors the LAT so the, the later that sort of uh, yeah. later acceptance times at sort of PM delivery that we do which we've been doing since 2018 in, in, in the PM delivery it's been done about sort of circa 310 offices do it Monday to Saturday. The Sunday we've landed on a scope and exercise for the delivery of test kits and Sunday delivery of products. We've sort of around about 350 units and, and they do obviously deal with the wider catchment area. But again, you know, the words in the pathway to change agreement are explicit that it, you know, units will be able to introduce it as part of workload, but for anyone doing it as duty, it would be voluntary. So, you know, for argument's sake, um, you know, no one can, can be paid to do that as part of a duty on a Sunday. You'd have to do it voluntary. But again, I think this is where, you know, when some of our reps are starting to embrace this in terms of the duty option. So, you know, again, if you're a unit that's got five, you know, let's just say you're a unit that's due to have five dedicated parcel routes or five routes on a Sunday, then some offices are looking at it going, well, we want to have two or three on Schedule attendance as an earnings package for those offices in terms, you know, for the whole office. People can put on a rotation, and some of the other units are going well. Then the other two or three, depending on how you split it up, 
we're going to put that to duties as part of our revision and we're going to make that attractive in terms of attendance patterns. So, you know, some are doing it as a four-day week. Some are looking to see what they could do as a three-day week in terms of a trial. I know the North East region, particularly in, I think it's Newcastle Mail Centre, are trialing a three-day week in terms of processing. So again, what does that look like if you've got the ability to do that? Um, and likewise, we've also got the ability that says, well, if there are no volunteers in an office, then if there is a vacancy, and that vacancy would say a 28-hour position, why wouldn't we make that a 35-hour position and make it a full-time position uh, and, and potentially, particularly if it's been advertised externally, make it, say, Wednesday to Sunday or whatever that fits with that part-time duty so that person knows they're coming in? Because for, for me, uh, and I've always thought this, that you know, work, workload is power if you're a rep in an office in the sense of it gives you the ability to be in it and come up with all sorts of attendance patterns and, and work around that. And, you know, likewise, you know, it's a growth area for us. It is, you know, I think it start, we started off the sort of beginning of March getting into the, well, test kits enabled Raw Mail to sort of introduce it a bit. But I think the Sunday just gone, the business, we're now at a sort of nationally 11 customers and it's growing more and more looking to sign up to it. And I think the Sunday just gone, we were around about 80,000 items. So, um, it's a growth area. It's something, obviously, that will look to protect jobs upstream, both in terms of the IDCs, logistics, distribution, running the services around the country. Um, and obviously, in terms of delivery, it will be, obviously, we've got to deliver the items. So, again, it's about how can we make it better? So, in terms of the arrival profiles, can we do it more slicker? But it'll, there'll come a tipping point that says the existing network will have to be invested in to try and get stuff earlier because there's no good if in one geographical part of the country, if it arrives 2 p.m. to the delivery office and you've only got, to say, a four or five hour window to deliver it, you need the bigger delivery window to, to, to get the items out there, particularly with the growth. So huge opportunities for us. Um, we're looking at everything to regards to Sundays, to the new PDAs coming in, to the route optimization navigation app on, on the PDA where you get your manifest, looking at the new mapping systems on the PDA, uh, how can we get hazards? So, you know, Dave Wiltshire you know, would know the Bristol area for everyone's sake. Well, but if Dave was doing the neighbouring office, you know, Dave wouldn't know necessarily the dangerous dog that is in the block of flats or whatever. So how do we get that onto the PDA? All of that is is subject to the to discussions we're having the, with the business now because we need to do it quicker um, to get all of those things lined up to enable, to, to make sure our members have got the tools to do the job. Excellent. So uh, there's quite a few comments through coming through now, um, and I've, I've just made some quick notes. Some of them specifically about Sunday Premium. So um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's around six pound. Is it an hour? Six pound something. Uh, I'm just trying to find the first one now. It's Pete. Uh, Pete, Pete, Pete. There you go, Sunday. Pete. So the Sunday pay isn't appealing for some. I know we have seven day working throughout the business, but an extra pound isn't very enticing for delivery staff. Um, again, that six pound isn't a pound, is it, uh, Tony? So, uh, but there's some concern or maybe mis misunderstanding what the difference is. Maybe that's the difference on overtime. Uh, you've got someone else, Andrew, need better Sunday pay also. Today's massive profit announcement, yada, 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 yada. So, yeah, there's there's money available is, is what people are saying from the, the results. But in terms of um, 
we had this discussion offline, didn't we, about, uh, say, say the delivery, the structural revision, they've gone in with one in four Saturdays. And we've got then some full-timers there which have got one in four Saturdays off. And that generates, as I understand it, uh, a part-time role that does a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, well, that does the day off, the delivery part of, of their day off. Now, if we, for example, utilise some uh, substantive, some substantive, substantive, substantial, get it right, uh, work on a Sunday and deploy that as part of a, a five-day work, we've got a potential uplift in part-time to full-time and the pay rise then would be to the tune of £6 some an hour, depending on the span. We could be looking at £60, £70 a week increases. Is that about the amount of it, Tony? Yeah, it is, mate. Yeah. So what you've got is you've got the situation where the Sunday premium is for conditioned hours, it's, I think it's just under £6 per hour, um, as you just said. So if I was doing a, set, you know, a, a seven hour attendance on a Sunday, I'll, you know, as part of my contract, you obviously would get the, the actual rate, but for I'd get seven lots of six pounds, so an extra forty-two quid for working that Sunday. So uh, again, you know, it that's where obviously someone can volunteer it. But if we're building that as part of a structure, and and again, it's trying to make that as more attractive as possible, isn't it? So you know, could you get if an office say needs to have five people on a Sunday, it could be that you go two or three on scheduled attendance. And we might have one duty that we're going to put a 10-hour day in. And that's ten, that's £60 per Sunday. So they're getting their weekly wage for working 35 hours a week. And on top of that, they would get the enhanced lump sum of £60 because of the conditions are. So it's a positive in that sense. And alongside, like you said, in terms of the unit. So we want to get to a situation where Sundays has already been sort of been working since sort of March time. Well, it's been working for the last 12 months around COVID test kits. And in lots of instances, yes, that's been done on agency and casuals in some of the offices. The current resourcing on Sundays is around about 50% OPGs, 50% uh, casual and agency. But we want to make sure that we convert all of that to Royal Mail employees, 100% you know, Royal Mail employees, CW members, um, and we can turn that into duty. So, you know, again, offices have got the ability to do that as part of the structure, you know, someone might go, I want a four day week because it will suit some people. Some people it suits differently. I might go to the rep of an office that if you can give me a four day week, I'm happy to work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It suits my home life. It suits my partner. It suits with childcare, et cetera, et cetera. And um, that's down to an individual, not that person not compelled to do it. Likewise, if an office can't get anybody to resource it and it's where we've got vacancies in an office, which we're doing externally, Again, the rep and the manager can say, well, we could do something with that vacancy, you know, rather than bring someone in on a 28 hour, we could bring them in on a 35 hour. So I think you've got yep. the gift is there, the menu of options are all there. Again, you know, it's, it's the reps knowing they're off their members in the offices. You know, I might go, well, we can do that for dedicated parcel routes. So Tony does week one on dedicated parcel routes, Dave Wiltshire does a delivery route, and then week two, Dave Wiltshire does the parcels and I do the delivery route because that helps them with the fatigue element on delivery. I, again, I think everyone, you know, people just got to come up with ideas, be innovative, embrace it. And, and I think you will find the solutions to all of it that protects our members. That, that's an interesting uh, uh, comment, actually. I, I quite like that analogy where you could share the delivery routes with the actual uh, the hard job that is walking the streets. Uh, the, there was a comment about from, from Dave Walker about is 
is there an agreement to the length of the water and delivery spans that uh, deliverer have to do so you know I, I, you tell me if there is or isn't but i, I would have thought certainly when when we've gone into a, a startup structure revision in the one of the leads officers there was discussing about these duty spans um or delivery spans and they model it on four and a half hours and they model it on five hours but again if you're going to be pulling some of the oversize out to go and dedicate parcel routes then in theory that that delivery walk would uh, free up time because you're not knocking on the door to deliver a parcel therefore potentially you're going to be walking for a bit longer uh so actually by rotating that duty content as you've just described could be quite um beneficial to members in in deliveries for sure yeah definitely um, i think the key the key thing on that scott is again it depends on where the offices are in terms of other traffic because lots of offices have seen an increase in the smaller parcels which again take additional time again it, it's an attendance call particularly with a scan so it may well be you're taking the large parcels off the delivery route but all you're doing then is meaning that delivery route can achieve and it can complete on, on any given date. You're solving the problem yeah. by doing it. Yeah, so so effectively it comes back to uh, almost what you're saying at the start. And it's something actually Bob McGuire, the division of Northeast, North East, um, said at one of our meetings that, you know, the, the, um, the dispute was about set, um, uh, designed to fix deliveries because historically it's it's been squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and these structural revisions really is about resetting it and freeing them up and making them so they can actually work based on actual workload so yeah that, that's great i'm a bit conscious that uh dave sat there <laughs> and hasn't yeah. said two words um i'm sure he's enjoying the debate but um maybe if i could bring you in at this point dave because um, I think it may be fair to say you've probably been in the business longer than Tony and I, um, I'm not saying combined, but certainly uh, individually. Uh, would did, did you have like notional, uh, notional uh, weekend workers where there was full time in Bristol? I certainly had some in, in Leeds, so I'm, I'm, with, with Bristol being quite a large uh, mail centre, then at some point um, I'm fairly sure that they've had a similar situation and and this this might tie into future things possibly where when you consider how much sunday premium you'd get that could effectively help reduce the number of gross hours that that you'd work to get the same cash equivalent so it's about then it was you know you, you did 20 odd hours and you got paid full time you know is that something you can re recall and and what were the sort of viewpoints back then yeah i mean i can recall quite a lot of that and i think the important thing to remember is that you said I've been in the business a long time, and yeah, it's 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 over thirty years. And um, I think the important thing to remember is that there's always been changes to duties. There's always been changes to the way we work. Um, you know, when I when I started in the business, we had rotations where you used to in a delivery office you used to do six days on delivery, finish on the Saturday um, lunchtime, and then you were back in on the Sunday night. Um, and all of these things that have evolved, um, we've always met resistance, even though we're trying to improve things. And notional weekend duties and indeed other weekend duties, we had in Bristol Mail Centre 20, 20 years ago, pretty much. And I can remember being at one of the meetings that we had with the members there when we were saying, we've got these new duties coming in and people are going, you're having a laugh. I'm not doing that. 
put them up on the board, oversubscribed by, um, I think there was four times as many people put in for them as there was duties. We went back, we went back about, I think on the three month review, we said to people, well, we're going to take them off you. Just, I mean, we weren't being serious, but that's what we said in the meeting. And um, they nearly chased us out of the room. So I think there's always this sort of fear of the unknown a little bit and fear of change. But I think with this agreement, um, not, ju not just like we weekend duties, but with all of it, you've got to look at it as an opportunity because let's not forget this time last year, we were, we were in a completely diff different situation. We were, in, we were in dispute. There were cuts going on all over the place. And because of the support that the members have given us, because without that, we'd be nothing, um, we've been able to, we've been able to um, turn it round. Um, and obviously the COVID pandemic has also played a part in that in terms of the traffic profile and the growth. But it's all about, as Tony mentioned, innovation. Tony mentioned, um, you know, rotations, rotating various parts of duties, whatever. I mean, it isn't all new stuff, all of this. Um, some of it is, some of it isn't. But let's not be afraid of it. And there are solutions out there that can help people come up with better duty patterns, have more time off work if they want, or give, or even provide more opportunity, more opportunity for overtime in some situations. And I think the other thing that's, that is worth saying is that I know that Terry, Terry is in discussions with the business about, um, about recruitment um, and about the level of temporary contracts in the business and making, making some of those up making a number of the people that are part-time up to full-time. And we think that's going to be a very, very positive message that's going to, going to come out very soon. So it is, um, we are in a better place and it is about positivity and it's about looking um, and embracing some of the things that Tony said to make, to make things better in the workplace. Excellent. Thanks for that, um, Dave. I mean, it's, it's funny, really, you, you've, you've spoken about, um, you know uh, the four pillars and you know where we were and, and moving things on and that sort of ties into a little bit on on the next uh part really which is about the, the cultural side of of stuff so you you particularly along with shelly and katerra been sort of working with the business on that recent big trust survey um it's had uh, i don't know compared for year on year but certainly depending which function you uh, from then the, the results are vary massively um would you like to sort of cover off a little bit about that and you, you know your re your reaction really to some of those results and perhaps uh, what the next stages are because it did reference that they'll be looking at it more locally yeah of course of, of course scott and um I think that it's very easy to be cynical about um all of these surveys and it's very easy to come at it from um, a position of it won't change anything. We've seen all this before. And to an extent, um, I think the important thing that everybody should remember is this is about improving the culture. Now, there's been a lot of debate um, about culture and it has formed a central plank of, um, it formed a central plank of the four pillars agreement, but also in our recent dispute um, where we've said that it's got to improve in order to make sure that we move forward together, um, start growing the business and um, start making it a better place to work. Um, so what's happened on the back of that is there was a, 
um, a structure set up where there was what was called a main negotiating group to talk about culture and all the different cultural aspects. Now, at that, unfortunately, um, when we attended the first meeting, Royal Mail came to us and said, um, we're, running a, we're running a big trust survey. And we said, trust, we don't know anything about the survey. So um, it wasn't the greatest. It wasn't the greatest start at that particular time. But um, what we did, um, we helped to shape the first survey that went out in um, February, I think it was. Um, helped to reduce the number of questions on there, make it more, make it more streamlined. We didn't actually um, come out and support it at the time, but we took a neutral position just to see how it went. Um, and when we got the results, there was a bit of a different feel to it than um, the previous employee opinion surveys where people were asked about 60 or 70 questions, never got any feedback. The questions didn't actually mean a lot. So on the back of that, we've de we decided to run a joint survey with the business, which um, had about, I think, 24 questions, which is half the size of the previous employee opinion surveys. And we were able to get some questions in there that we wanted. Some of the questions that we'd asked before when we had um, the culture the culture visits um, at the end of 2019. So we've, we've been able to shape that. And the results, um, headline results, have now been, have now been made available. Um, what I will say is that CW members contributed to 90% of um, of the total return. So the total return was 48%, which was around about 66,000 um, people. Out of that, um, just over 60,500 were CW members. So thanks to everybody that has, that's completed that. But I think what we're also conscious of is headline results don't necessarily translate down to the workplace. And the important mm -hmm. thing now is making sure that these results are used to improve people's conditions, culture, and working environment at a local level. So it's really about how we take how we take that forward. So the next sort of phases in the process are that Royal Mail are going to um, run through all of the results um, at a national level next week um, at the main culture group. They are then going to meet the postal executive um, next Thursday on the 27th. And following that, they're going to meet the senior field officials, divisional reps, um, regional parcels organizers in Liverpool um, week commencing um, the 31st of May. So that is going to take place immediately. What will then happen is the results will filter down um, or will be presented at a local level. But what we don't want to do, we don't want we don't want um, the results just to land at a local level, and there's no structure behind that. And we want to make sure that once those results land, um, the manager and the rep have got the time to sit down uh, and discuss the results, um, then meet people, tell them about the results, get feedback, and complete a joint action plan. Um, because what's happened in the, what's what's happened in the past, Scott, with the employee opinion survey is there's been a load of headline results that have come out. Like I said, about 50, 60 questions. A poster's gone up on the wall, and it's been left there. And people say, "Oh yeah, that's good." And the next survey comes along, and it's almost like, "Well, have I got have I, have we really got to complete this?" Because nothing's changed. So we want to make sure that there's joint action plans with definitive timelines, 
and not only that that they're they're monitored at um, area rep level um, and field official level um, and by that what I mean is we want um, we're going to be coming up with a process where the area reps when they meet um, their their respective managers can have a look at all the units in, under their jurisdiction make sure that they've all got action plans and then help monitor um, the progress on those action plans going forward and the same at divisional level but coupled with that and um, before the results land we're, look, we know there's going to be some units where relationships are good and some units where relationships are poor so that we're also going to be getting it as part of the process that there's a chance for the managers and the reps at the various levels to start identifying units where maybe people don't even want to get in the room together to discuss it um, and sort of provide support and make it known where that support's available. Excellent. I mean, I'm, I've got the results to um, on the side of us. Um, so I can put them on screen if, if we like, so we know know what we're uh, actually looking at. So there we go. Um, as a matter of thing. So that's the results. Why, what struck, struck me about the return is particularly national distribution being particularly low um, and you got the parcels operation. So would, would that be uh, like the parcel force or would that be um, just parcels? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? As, as broad as it is, because the RDCs and the mail centers are, are separate, you see. Um, yeah. But, Sorry, go on. No, it's, uh, and then, then the other thing is you've got a difference between the north and the south. So there seems to be uh, whether that's a bigger buying by the north or whether that's um you know because of the app because you have to do it online didn't you this time and i know there was some communication errors where you needed a particular code to get on to answer the uh, now i know they sent a postcard out but as you know most people would, would tell you that you don't necessarily read everything that comes through the post do you, you know what I mean? so um it, it's possible that that affected the the response rate and what also struck me from some of the questions they're they're very broad so it talks about say your your manager now you know tony's already touched on the fact that like network we work over not just a standard monday to friday six two two ten ten six uh the mail centers seem to be moving that way as well where they're moving outside of the normal constraints of uh, a traditional shift work and what you're finding is is that the shift the managers are actually changing as well so you don't have a designated manager that you're reporting to or from subway and then you've got your deputy managers so it's a bit difficult in some regards to answer some of those questions honestly because you don't know who you're referring your answers to um you know, would you sort of agree with that sort of analysis on on some of the points anyway, and the response? Yeah, I think I think um, I'd, I'd certainly agree with what you said about um, I think you said the north and the south, and um, there's 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 different pockets actually around the country that have taken this up. There's other there's other um, areas where maybe they've been a little bit more cynical. Maybe the message hasn't got across. I also think that in terms of um, HGV drivers, for example, um, and maybe people in parcel force. Sometimes it's difficult, maybe, to get all of them all of them together um, to actually to have actually had a good lead into lead into the brief itself. And yes, um, some of the uh, some of the questions are a little bit broad. But what we what we're going to be looking at as this develops, and you know, we're learning all the time as well to an extent, but. In particular units, if there's particular areas that are highlighted, 
um, what we'll do then is maybe have a follow-up survey to almost dig down deeper to find out what those underlying problems are so it doesn't just become a headline so that there is some there is something below that that moves this work that moves this work forward because why this is why this is important is if we're going to improve the culture um, and we're going to improve the working environment we've got to start somewhere and you've got to ask people what they think um, now look it has been a bit of a leap of faith on this in, ter in terms of you know it's the first joint survey of this of this size that I can recall us doing doing with Royal Mail but as I said you know we can't just keep saying culture's bad if we're not going to try and do anything about it and what we are going to do as well we're going to be saying that going forward there's no opt-out to this every unit um, has got you know whether that's between the manager and the rep or whether they need support but every unit is going to have to come up with an with an action plan at some point and make sure that that is delivered so um when when um things are getting changed even if it's a van out in the out in the yard that's had been sat out there for i don't know six months with two punctures and they and that gets fixed that's something that should be seen as a positive now there's going to be a lot more deep lying things than that deeper lying things than that in some units but yeah we're that's we're going to use this as the basis to move forward not in isolation from um, from culture, but as a part of the whole culture work that's going on. As, as we sort of evolve and, and move on, exactly. So, uh, do you want any, to put any comments on on that cultural part, Tony? Uh, yeah, I mean, just one thing. Exclude I think, it. Yeah, no, no, I just think it's one, because Dave said it's about the starting point, and it's about we have to start somewhere, isn't it? and I think the, the key part, part that Dave said was around recruitment so i think what we've landed on the pathway to change agreement is actually for the first time for a long time is an agreement around improving efficiency and productivity and what is an agreed measure so we've agreed weighted for work hour we're working through all of the bits around that you know the unmeasured bits the bit that has to be quantified what's a reasonable step in performance and what that should do is it should move us away from these unrealistic budget and targets that managers get because what, what drives culture, in my view, and I think it's, it's been proven over many, many years, is what happens is an office gets given targets. It, for whatever reason, doesn't fill its vacancies. You run with two or three vacancies, which then become four and five vacancies. You then get two or three people that go sick in an office. Management then got 10 duties or 10 jobs in the mail centre to cover. The pressure starts to go on the managers because things are failing. They start talking to people inappropriately and then you hit this vicious circle that everything in an office goes wrong where actually the catalyst is we haven't got the resources in running an office and i think we you know again it's about this is where the business the test will be whether the business are actually sincere with what they're doing because the four pillars agreement if you remember we did a a resource and quality checklist in every unit after the, both in terms of processing, distribution, collections, delivery, in terms of an audit to make sure that the, the resourcing and the quality was right in every office, but that we did that for one, one period after the six months and it never was done again. And the problem is then you just go back for that loop. So things may have changed immediately after the four pillar agreement and then they went off track. We can't let that happen again. And this is going to be the point that Dave said, this will be that we've started somewhere the test will be whether the business are in it for the longevity, I think, will be the key. 
Excellent. So speaking of long of um, the uh, can't can't say the words, uh, but speaking of the uh, you know the long haul, uh, we sort of move on to sort of the next topic because the the next topic that we're going to be talking about is the collections, uh, and there is a flight path for collections of of uh, I believe three years. I think there were a, an LTB came out to it today or, or yesterday, and. Um, to sort of tying, if, if you want to sort of outline the collection process and, and the collard for those yeah. people's collection on delivery and, and the sort of where they're moving forward with, and then there's a couple of questions already stacked from particular Dave Hutchinson, so we'll get to them. That's uh, the area rep from Leeds. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so over to you, Tony. Yeah, no problem. Cheers, Scott. So, so, so I think we've, like, we've been on a journey for collections on delivery and, and collections per se, since sort of two, well, since 2009, I think I first got involved in it in 2009 as a working group for Bob Gibson. And then when I got on the executive 211, picked it up as the sort of lead for, for collections. And we did the joint statement in 2014 that maintained, you know, at that time, post privatization, maintained collecting from 100,000, 115,000 post boxes six days a week. Um, but we moved to some boxes being diverted to collection on delivery. Um, and, and to be honest, it stood us in good stead in terms of a process. Obviously, the business have been looking to move to a, a, a large remainder of boxes that aren't collection on delivery because of the decline in letter volumes, but predominantly a bigger decline in, in stamp volumes. Also, nationally, there's around about 67,000 post boxes that get less than five items in a day. So again, you know, if that's being picked up on a collections duty is the cost. It's all of the bits that we talk around efficiency and some of the stuff we do. So again, we've had a conversation with a business as part of the pathways change agreement about the deployment plan. So the plan will be to maintain associated boxes. So both post boxes that are either at a post office, you know, or in high footfall areas will remain on collect on a dedicated collection duty, you know, frequent collections across the day, et cetera. But the ones that are less than, um, you know, 50 items, the 50 items special is removed. The ones that have got low volumes in and it will now move to collection on delivery. But again, we've dealt with it over a three-year timeline. So uh, for this year, it'll be only boxes that aren't a priority post box for the COVID test kits. And then we obviously do year two and year three. So again, it keeps us still in you know, 115,000 post boxes a day. Um, the business could quite easily remove sort of 40,000 boxes from the ground and still be complicit with the access specification and the guidelines that they have to work to in terms of Ofcom. So that's the first and foremost. And again, with similar to previous agreements, we've got a process in terms of reps engaging their involvement, a challenge process that they need to, in terms of like the identification of the post boxes. Again, the, the agreement's very explicit that you know, if the people issues can't be dealt with at any given time, particularly like all in one part, that again, they can be reviewed and the deployment plan has to be done in a pragmatic approach. Again, we pick that up because you have to take people on a journey. Um, and then we obviously pick up the, the, the growing areas. So again, you know, there'll be lots of new builds going up around the country to delivery points, but also, you know, there'll be, you know, there's going to be lots and lots of people probably changing the way in which they work. So more lots of people working from home, which might mean that some of those post boxes see an increase in volumes going back through them. So at each of the three year intervals, there's a review process to, to, to see how those boxes 
uh, uh, the volumes increase. We've got an agreement on looking at what the parcel posting boxes look like. So we converted circa 2,000 meter boxes to parcel posting boxes. But again, with the growth in parcel volumes and the traffic around that, we're currently having conversations with the business around what does a new parcel posting box look like or a hybrid box so we're posting letters in parcels in together. We're looking at that and we see that as a growth opportunity. And then you've got some opportunities linking into um, consumer collections. So again, uh, I think Royal Mail describe it in their financial results today as parcel collect, but it's consumer collections. Now, in theory, that's done on delivery routes. But if I deliver to 600 delivery points, only five, five of those delivery points can request a consumer collection on any given day. So you know, on a range of 600 delivery points, potentially it's 595 people a day that can't have a collection. Now, we've made the, 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 the sort of challenge to the business to say, I mean, they did it that way because they believe it's more efficient. Someone's walking up the garden path when they're posting there is to collect it at the same time. But in lots of instances, as we know, the size and shape of the parcels, that actually the, the, the post person isn't collecting it at the time. They're going back afterwards and picking up in the vehicle because it makes it easier to do that. So on that basis, why can't we use collection duties who are going out at noon, going out on release, going out in the evening, so I might have lost some of the boxes from my collection route, but I could actually go out and do consumer collections, which again means that Royal Mail can offer that to everyone. So we're looking at that. We're looking at same day products. So again, I know this has definitely been done in the Leeds area where um, Pharmacy to You was looking at being based in the Leeds Mail Centre. So they would have all their stock in the Leeds Mail Centre. Uh, someone would go in, say, 8 till 9.30 in the morning process all of the orders that needed to be dispatched that would go out onto the LAT duties to the offices but we've said well why can't you use that to collection duties as well to make sure that again if I've lost a relief collection that it makes sense for me to deliver that out there so we see that as you know there is a huge opportunity in the collections duties for new products and services for some of the growth agenda because you know again my, my lots of the evening collections are based on my first pickup point at four o'clock. Well, on the way, I just leave the mail center 15 minutes early. On the way out to my route, I go to that designated delivery point to pick up the item, or I take out the same day product. And I think that's where Royal Mail's got the ability, because of our, you know, scale of the operation, you know, 37 mail centers, 1,250 delivery offices, you know, circa, you know, we're gonna end up with 310 of those offices being LATs. We have got the ability and the reach to be better than anyone else across the country, um, and as long as we embrace that, and and you know, there's lots of shall we say, I would say I think challenges that potentially Royal Mail put up in front of us, and say, well, it's not it's for this reason or it's this reason, you know, vehicles. How do we do that in terms of like you know, um, you know, back in the day it was only freeway as directed, but again, or had or ad hoc time, but. I think we've got the solutions to some of those barriers that the business think are in play. And as long as we utilise that, then for us, we've got the ability to maintain a collections workforce in place, deal with the decline in some of the letter volumes, but then embrace new products and services to protect the jobs going forwards. Excellent. So uh, I think you've covered off the, the questions from Dave, um, but specifically there's one, I, I, it's not that you haven't covered it off, but I think it, it, it may want a bit of a wider 
broader debate. So that's that's about not just the LAT products. In fairness, it's it's about the parcel deliveries. And as as one one function, the the collection function shrinks a little bit, then that could replace. Because I mean, I, I jotted down here about doorstep collections, which is something unique to to the delivery function or, or right and property delivery function. But actually, it's a collection in it by definition. You're picking up, so it, it does seem like that the collection as a function and the deliveries as a function are coming closer and closer together, almost as a unified super function if is a better way of looking at it it's the it's the beginning and the end it's the the two tails of a rope coming together so um, on that basis where you've got a click of members from the collection side would tend to work slightly later and then you've got the other flip side that you've got the delivery uh, people are starting earlier that there must be somewhere where actually you can have that 12 hour eight hour you know eight while eight type delivery and collection period covered by all members where potentially you're not going to dis um disrupt someone's working life home life balance um is, is that how you see things panning out tony perhaps yeah, I'm not, yeah and i'm not saying next week by the way no 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 again i completely no and i think that this is i think this is where you you, you know as i say there isn't one size fits all so because we've been dealing with the post-box strategy or collections revision process and also the short work and make, you know, raw mail have said to us, and, and I think we've issued it in the OTBs, that nationally there's 117 designated collection hubs. So, so again, um, there's lots of other collections that are performed, but actually they're performed if the parent is a delivery office or it's in the mail centre in terms of distribution collection duties. So again, it, it, it looks completely different, but this is where you're right. Right. You know, we, we will have a mixture of work that says, you know, Office A opens up at midnight because potentially it's a mail processing unit with CSS operation and actually it closes its door again at eight o'clock at night, you know, after the last dispatches. In that scenario, you have got that window to utilize, you know, different duties and it could be hybrid duty. So it could be that someone does, you know, do a four day week where they could do a small part of a delivery some dedicated pass routes, and then a collection on the back end. And um, you've got that option to, to do all of it in terms of integrated. Now, we've already agreed under the four pillars and uh, reintroduced under Pathways Change that LAT can be done by collections duties. I think the challenge we've had is, is the upstream technology bit. So two things are a problem with LAT. One, the pre-advice, to get a plan that says you've got 50 items coming, and then 100 turn up, and that happens pretty much every day of the week. But the mail centers and the receiving offices don't necessarily know the four to have. Whereas what we're saying is, if that item's at the end of the network at 10 o'clock at night for delivery tomorrow, or 1.30 in the morning for delivery tomorrow, um, then surely we must be able to know somewhere in the pipeline, it's had a scan, it's gone for automation, and we know that's the, that's the delivery point it's going to. And then we know... Scott does collection number one from Leeds Mail Centre and he delivers to that industrial estate. Well, that parcel's on the same industrial estate. So why why would we put it, say, on Dave delivering a dedicated parcel duty when you're going to the same industrial estate to pick up collection mail? It's it's about how can we get that technology to provide that upstream information and the technology because um, that way we will be able to get to that point and we then can get it onto collection duties. And, and again, I think the point I said earlier on is 
there's some barriers there that are in place at this moment in time, which we think we can tick the box in, and there's a break, break, break in that thing. Um, and the businesses are massively investing in the technology bit to the point where, you know, once upon a time, the run app for LAT duties was really poor. We're, we're going to see substantial investment in, in, in sort of, um, an increased function a bit functionality on those PDAs, particularly when the new PDA comes online um, or, or starts to be deployed, which will hopefully mean all of that can come to fruition. Mate. Yep. Yeah. That's uh, it's a, a good debate, really, is around the deliveries and the collection side. Um, and it's actually quite nice to hear some positivity about some vision rather than uh, we don't know how to handle it. Do you know what I mean? Because quite frankly, there's the, you know, people people have a viewpoint, but then no one's coming up with any answers or suggestions are just bringing, bringing that, well, putting up the hurdles and such. So we've, we've been on for an hour. Uh, we've got one last topic to cover. So this this is uh, perhaps where, uh, where I'd like to think everyone's been on because of Tony and and Dave collectively, but not just about what money they might be getting in the the near future because of holiday, average holiday pay. But uh, I'm sure that is a topic that they, they will like answering. So Dave, in terms of the holiday pay, I know we can't go into too much detail specifics, but if you can give us a bit of a an overview where we are, um, and maybe key key milestones where we might get some. Uh, important information okay i think um this is the the issue of holiday pay or average pay on leave has been um a long-running issue and it's been a long-running issue one because royal mail were estimating some seven eight years seven years ago that uh it was going to cost them about a million pounds a week so um you know that's quite a considerable cost and it was also about how we got them into a position where we were moving forward on a collective agreement. So it's just a little bit of a history lesson, Scott, if that's all right, because I think it's important to position where we are. In 2014 um, and the beginning of 2015, the um, uh, LTBs were put out um, to branches saying that the legal parties were discussing um, this matter to try and gain an understanding around it um, but the the union um, would support uh, any branch or any individuals that put in their own claim and there were then um, a whole series of cases that um, came out of um, the legal system that started to set precedent so there were negotiations that were ongoing but where the difficulty was was that the the um, average pay or the holiday pay only only applies to the first 20 days of leave so it doesn't apply to week five or if you're if you're getting six weeks a year just the first 20 days of annual leave so what the business in my view were doing um they were getting into talks um every year um the talks were dragging on and of course by the time it reached um october november most people had taken their first 20 days of leave so actually the pressure was off the business. So at the beginning of 2019, um, the executive endorsed the strategy, which said, we're gonna sort of grab, grab this now by the throat. We're gonna move forward with it, um, with the aim of getting a collective agreement. But in order to put pressure on Royal Mail to create a pressure point, we're now gonna maximize the number of people that put in claims. 
so what we did we did um some some videos um supported by some quite wide ranging communications telling people um in the branches branch secretaries the process that they should go go through how they should advertise this to their members um, and we wanted them to start putting claims through ACAS. Now, I've got to say, um, particularly in the Northeast, but um, also uh, in other areas of the country, there were a, num a number of branches that really, really um, took this to task and started going out, getting members to put to put in claims. Um, I mean, in the Northeast itself, you had um, you had Graham Clough, you had Barry Bowes in um, in um, the northwest um in our neck in our neck of the woods um ralph ferret in plymouth uh rob Wotherspoon in bristol and the number of claims that went through acas started to be um to really increase um myself i dealt with i think 107 claims um the average payout royal mail started panicking not to put too fine a point on it and started making settlements so out for example out of the 107 claims that i dealt with the average claim was worth £345 um, per member, um, but I had a high, the highest claim was over £2,000 uh, and the lowest claim was nothing. And that was because the member put a claim in but hadn't actually done any overtime. Um, so that was a bit of a weakness. That was always going to be a little bit of a weakness on, um, on their part and in, in, in settling that. So Royal Mail were paying out all this money and things started to move forward. More and more people were putting in claims as word got round uh, and they started panicking again. And what, what, what ended up happening was that they, first of all, they asked for discussions um, and negotiations, which we took them up on. But then around about September, October 2019, they just took another decision that they were not going to settle any more claims or make any more offers at ACAS. Um, and that was probably due to the amount of money it was costing. So we were then faced with a bit of a dilemma about how to take this forward because we didn't want to go back to the old situation where the pressure was off. So what we said to branches was that we wanted to get them to maximize the number of people that went through ACAS and then took their claim to a, an employment tribunal. Um, now, I've got to say that at this moment in time, there's over five and a half thousand of our members that have done that um, and they are part of a um, a couple of group claims now i say a couple of group claims because where this has got complicated is it isn't just it isn't just the case of every claim is together because there's actually um different different um countries that um are grouped together so england and wales um, the claims are grouped together legally for those two countries. Scotland and Northern Ireland, again, are completely separate. What I can say in terms of the English and Welsh claims is that they are due to go to um, an employment tribunal in Bristol, which is, um, there's 10 days put aside and it starts on the 21st of June. So um, while I say that there's about, you know, there's over 5,000 um, claims going there, and that sounds a magnificent number, but what that actually means as well is that there's probably about 115,000 people that haven't put a claim in and haven't taken it to, to tribunal. So it's not too late to do that, and we would still encourage people to go down that route. Having said that, um, as, we, as the pathway to change agreement um, was signed 
um, and endorsed by the members. There were approaches made at um, quite a senior level, um, DGS, DGSP and the HR um, director. And dialogues started to move on again on this subject. So we, we have had a number of meetings now with Royal Mail. Um, we, had one this, we had one this afternoon. Um, and we've made a lot of progress. Uh, having said that, there's still a number of outstanding issues and some of them are quite, are quite complex. Um, the negotiations themselves have really hinged on what is considered regular because regularity of overtime is the thing that keeps coming back. It keeps coming back in all, in all, the, legal, in all the legal cases that have gone on and all the legal precedents. So it's about agreeing a level of overtime over a particular reference period that can be classed as regular that the calculation is then based on. Of course, on, um, on top of that, we've then got different pay rates um, that we've got to consider. So part-timers, for example, in the calculation only get paid, don't they, at single rate up to full-time hours. Um, we've, we've got um, the issue of back pay, which has got to be sorted out um, because that's something that we're pushing on. Um, and we've also got some, still some outstanding legal arguments around um, maternity, paternity, how that would fit in, um, etc. So, like I said, we've made a lot of progress. We're hoping we've got another meeting scheduled for next week, and we're hoping in the very near future to be at a stage where we start um, getting an getting an agreement together, actually getting the words on paper and starting to then talk about all the words so that they're in the form of an agreement. Um, the clock's ticking because we've got the cases at Bristol on the 21st of June. So um, if you ask me to predict when the agreement's going to be reached, I think it's going to be sort of maybe not the 11th hour, but maybe the 10th hour. It's certainly going to be going, it's certainly going to be going towards, um, towards that time scale. But I think that there's been a lot of joint focus on it recently um, and hopefully we can get it over the line and get an agreement that one will be supported by the postal executive but two will be supported um, by the members because they'll see that this is the best that we can get going forward. I think uh, Pete Britt here may have uh, summed that up. Show me the money. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I appreciate that overview, uh, Dave, because uh, I am conscious that legally, you know, you are restricted a little bit, but um, there's been a lot of talk um, and a lot of talk and a lot of talk and then nothing actually coming out in, in recent months. Uh, so it's it's nice that you've made that clarity. Um, and really, we're sort of looking, I would imagine Terry will be making an announcement if, if there's a deal. Uh, and I'm sure uh, Chris will be promoting that aspect uh, with, with a live session, I would imagine. And um, so we're looking at next month is the key key date. Yeah, next month is the key date. And I mean, I don't know whether Pete actually put um, a tribunal claim in himself because I, I haven't dealt I haven't dealt with them all. A lot of them have been dealt with um, through branches. But we are going we are going to get into a position, I believe, where he will see the money, um, providing he's done some overtime and qualifies, of course, um, which <laughs> uh, which which I don't know. But um, we are we are we are going to move this forward. Um, look. Terry, um, at the appropriate moment, as once it's gone through the exec, um, the postal executive will uh, obviously make that make that announcement um, and make sure 
that um, we'll be we'll also be communicating what the what the ballot arrangements are because um, it will it will have to go out and be in, be endorsed um, by the membership as well. So there's a lot there's a lot going on. There's a lot there's a lot to consider. Um, even as much as you know, if we get to the stage where we got a got an agreement, what does that mean for all the claims that are currently at the tribunal? Um, because that's something else that needs to be considered. So it's quite complex, but we are, like I said, we're probably closer than we ever have been. I think this has all got where this has all got a little bit prolonged and a bit, um, a bit, a bit complicated again. And we keep coming back to this is because of the COVID pandemic. Because initially the pre-hearing at the Bristol Tribunal was due to be last April, um, and because of COVID, it got postponed. And it's taken over a year to get a new date, um, particularly given that you're talking about um, potentially a 10 day hearing. It's not easy. You know, it, has, it hasn't been easy for the tribunal to arrange that. So it has it has become prolonged. But having said that, on the plus side, that's probably now given us the chance to get a collective agreement rather than just going to the tribunal and taking taking our chances. And even if a year ago or uh, 14 months ago, the tribunal had made a ruling. You've still got a negotiating agreement after that, haven't you? So, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think we're in a good place, man. Excellent. So, just to answer that uh, comment, I've just shown on screen from CAF. Does this mean all is not lost? I put my claim in two years ago. So, I think for for absolute clarity, as long as you have got the paperwork in and it's in on time, then it doesn't matter if it takes a year, two years. It's still live and active. Is that about the sounds of it, Dave? Yeah, I mean, assuming assuming Kath um, that you've got you've got it you've got it registered at the tribunal, um, which you know I, I I don't know where your claim is. Um, if you've got it registered at the tribunal as part of the claim and you've got a reference number and that, yes, you will be you will be part of that claim. Um, but having said that, if we get a collective agreement uh, and there's back pay, you know. I don't know what I don't know what that's going to look like at the moment. Then hopefully that will also take care take care of you as an individual. Excellent. Thank you for for that. Uh, I've got a funny. I'd be interested to know which which um, from Dave and Tony. Uh, who is the best area in Yorkshire? Because apparently Peter's thinking that we're the second best in, in Leeds. In, in West Yorkshire. Is that in terms of holiday pay or holiday pay claims <laughs> or just in general? <laughs> uh, I, think, I think it's referring in general. Is is a, is a Humberside lad is, uh, well, Beverly, aren't you, Pete? From Beverly. But yeah. So uh, is do, would you like to round off any, any sort of thoughts, comments about the future and the claims of culture, the delivery routes, um, Tony, before we wrap yeah. it up? Yeah, we've just got. I mean, I think there's a lot going on, and I think these sessions that you you doing on behalf of the Northeast region and sort of your own branch, the Leeds branch, are really worthwhile because it gives us an opportunity to sort of explain in a bit more detail, uh, you know, from, away from this. Hustle and bustle, everything. But please, I mean, uh, Dave will know that. I know Dave's involved in sort of stuff for the DGSP department and the, and the tracker, which sort of is pulling everything together in terms of the pathway to change agreement and you know one of the things on you know on a reference to pipeline talks i mean literally we we're having sort of every fortnight two 
we've been having two days of face-to-face meetings and the sheer scale of what's involved in that i mean you look at the northwest hub the midlands hub the southern hub you're talking machines that can sort to 900 selections you know it is it's huge you're talking about the whole network that sits behind those automation hubs so again you know you've got the northwest hub that goes live in 12 months 12 months later you'll have the midlands hub how do the two hubs integrate together you'll you'll, you'll particularly from a logistics point of view in terms of like HGV duties and, and the Arctics. You've got the Midlands Hub will have a, a new rail terminal going to Scotland uh, and sort of like the north parts of the country. So how does that look, what does that look like? You've got all of the day-to-day stuff we're dealing with. So there's a huge amount. And, and sometimes I don't think we get enough time, you know, collectively, myself, Dave P, the other P members, to think about some of the things you're doing as well as the reps. So, I think these sessions are brilliant. I think our members have done a fantastic job over the last 12 months. I think everyone you speak to, whether it's friends, family, you know, when you're out visiting offices, I think try to say exactly the same to, for people. So, you know, the opportunity to do this tonight, Scott, has been brilliant. And and I think for me, you know, and I've said this on a number of the calls I've been on the divisions that we're tagged to, is, you know, this is the time for us. You know, we spent the last two years in dispute with the business. Um, and sometimes it's easier to say no, whereas now there's lots of opportunities for us in the pathway to change agreement. And whether you're, you're, you're a peer member, whether you're a divisional rep, whether you're a branch secretary, whether you're an area rep, a local rep, or even a CWU member, you know, this is the time, for, for, uh, for, I think, for the CWU to shine and for our, for our members to reap the benefits of what the hard work that they've not just played over the last 12 months, but for, for, for the job that they do day in, day out, and, and to make sure that we protect their jobs and, and grow the industry for, for, for people in the future. So uh, thanks to you, Scott, and enjoyed it thoroughly. Yes, likewise, uh, it's been very interesting. Dave, do you have you, any final comments? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I'd like to just thank everybody that's tuned in to listen to us because, um, from the comments, I can see that we haven't just been chatting to an empty screen. Um, and it's not just the three of us on here. So, I mean, I think that's always a bonus. So thanks ever so much on that. But I think just talking about um, just sort of reiterating what Tony said, we're in a much better place now than we were a year ago. But we've all we've seen in the past how quickly things can change. Um, and what we mustn't lose sight of now as a union, um, and with your back in and with the members back in, you know, we'll always be in a good position if this happens as well. We mustn't lose sight of the fact that there's still a lot of outstanding commitments, um, even going back to the four pillars. So even when revisions go in this time and everybody gets the next hour reduction off the week and the pay increases for those that are part time, we're still owed a further two hours. And that that further two hours, you know, we mustn't lose sight of that. And we've got to make sure that even though we're in this positive place, that positivity continues. We continue um, to get to get the benefits going forward. But if Royal Mail decide to pull the plug and we get someone in like the previous CEO again that decides in the next six, eight months to go on a different route, um, that we're ready to react to that. And I know you will be because um apart from just being cw and proud and also being you know the most trusted most trusted workforce you've always done us proud and you've always backed us so thank you very much excellent thank you for that uh, dave so 
Uh, a reminder about next Wednesday, we've got Carl Maiden, who's um, going to be answering, well, he's going to be showing us or telling us and ensuring we know about as A, B, C and G. So uh, that's not a spelling mistake. It's about the attendance, bullying, harassment, conduct and grievance procedures. So uh, that will be a worthy one. I'm sure we'll be picking up some comments around the bullying, harassment and culture. Uh, but if you've got any of those concerns or questions about those policies and agreements tune in next wednesday and carl will be happy to um, answer them so without further ado thank you again tony thank you again dave um i hope uh, we could do something similar in the future uh, the invitation is always there and um thanks for watching remember unity